This is Kenny from the Spear Squad, and you're listening to another wrestling podcast. It's time for uh, another wrestling podcast. The measuring stick just changed around here, buddy. You're looking at it. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. They think they got the answers. I change the question. The cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. These are the best in the world, brother. These are the best in what they do. When we talk about the legends of the sport, there's only two in my book. Another wrestling podcast. Another wrestling podcast. Now can you dig that, sucker? Alright, alright, alright. Welcome to another wrestling podcast. I'm Steve Credo. And I'm Jonathan Benjamin. And this is episode 104. Jonathan, what can the the fans out there expect today? Well, we are another wrestling podcast. Uh, We are unlike any of the other wrestling podcasts out there. So we are a topical show. We try to go through and find some things in the world of professional wrestling to talk about. Sometimes it could be the Royal Rumble. Sometimes it may be about the greatest face paint in the history of professional wrestling. Um, But we do this so anytime you listen to these shows, whether it be now, a year from now, or whatever, uh, we'll always be on point. We do get into topics every now and then, um, as you'll see today. But for the most part, we have main topics. Uh, Today we have a great show, probably one of our best yet. This is episode 104, and you know what that means, Steve? Uh... Um, I I don't. What does that mean? That means that we have been doing this for exactly two years. We have done 52 episodes in a year and 52 episodes in another year. We we are now at two years of podcasting. Wow. Wow. It almost almost went past me, Jonathan, if you didn't say anything. It's just – it's become so routine of being – doing this every week having great guests every week uh and now to say that we've been doing it for two years it, it's amazing jonathan happy two-year anniversary I, I i i didn't get you anything yeah i figured that so i just went out and got something myself and i just charged it to our company card so <laughs> just, just don't worry about the statement <laughs> well uh, i hope we both can use it jonathan doubtful it's got uh my name emblazoned on it so uh it's not looking good but i uh i appreciate it once again well happy two years regardless uh wow uh two years who we have on jonathan who's our guest today this is uh an amazing guest one of my favorites of all time i'm not saying that jokingly uh i'm a huge spirit squad fan uh and this is none other we got the leader of the Spirit Squad, Mr. Ken Doan, is going to be joining us for our two-year anniversary. And he's not kidding, ladies and gentlemen. Jonathan, uh, briefly, uh, tell the fans what you used to do at some of these shows. I, I know we said it on a long time ago on a show, but uh, I think we should tell the fans right now. Uh, and maybe they were at a show and saw you, perhaps. Yeah, I, I did a lot of, uh, I guess you, you kids call it cosplaying, uh, but I, I dressed up a lot as uh, as the the long lost member of the spirit squad i was still johnny because i'm jonathan but 
uh, I would go there and there were times during the matches when they weren't paying attention to what was going on in the ring and they were just throwing stuff at me or booing me. Um, I, I loved it. I, I still uh, dust off the Spirit Squad shirt every now and then, but uh, I am super psyched to have Kenny on uh, and uh, I can't wait to see what he has to say. That's right. Uh, so far, are we... So far, I think if we go back in the history of all of our shows and all of our YouTube exclusives, uh, we have had at least two members of the Spirit Squad, I believe, on another wrestling podcast. Is that right? Yes, Nikki is not been on. <laughs> that is Dolph Ziggler. But uh, Mikey, Mike Mondo, and now Ken Doan, Kenny. So we have had two. Uh, still hoping to get the whole the whole set. Collect them all. <laughs> That's right. Well, maybe one day. Uh, but Jonathan, uh, on a more serious a note, uh, tragically, this week we lost another uh, wrestling great, uh, Balls Mahoney. Uh, you know, I, I used to go to a lot of ECW shows up here in Poughkeepsie, New York, and I remember Balls, especially for his theme song, uh, let alone. Um, Jonathan, uh, do you have any memories of Balls Mahoney? Uh, it's, uh, it's sad to hear that, uh, you know, another wrestling uh, legend has passed. Yeah, it, it's, it's always terrible, and, um, you know, I don't... I don't know much about Balls Mahoney. You know, I enjoyed his work in ECW. Um, I enjoyed even his uh, Santa Claus that he did. But the thing that I think was the coolest about um, all of this tragic, tragic happening was the outpouring of just love and and the stories that we got to hear from you know Tommy Dreamer and a lot of these these people really rallied around and uh, told everybody, you know, what a great person he was. And so I think that, you know, if there's anything that good could ever come out of something this tragic, it would be that. It would be that um, he left a legacy. You know, it doesn't matter 20 years from now what he did in the world of wrestling, but it does matter how people think about you. And uh, he will be missed. And uh, it looks like he left a a wonderful legacy behind. Rest in peace, uh, Balls Mahoney. Now, Jonathan, uh, it's been crazy past. It's been a crazy past few weeks in the world of wrestling, especially WWE. At least, um, you know, a lot of things have been happening, Jonathan. Uh, since WrestleMania has come and gone, uh, the landscape of the world of wrestling as we know it in WWE has changed, uh, and especially. It looks like the Bullet Club has been invading slowly but surely uh, in the WWE, especially now with Doc Gallows and Machine Gun Carl Anderson debuting on Raw just a week or two ago. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this uh, happening? And uh, are we going to have a Bullet Club name, or what are they going to call it? I don't know. I don't know. Um, there's a lot of people that are, uh, I, I guess you call it armchair booking, right now and they're coming up with these dream scenarios i've seen everything from the shield versus the bullet club to (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's just it's getting crazy but um i always have enjoyed doc gallows uh i've enjoyed you know even way back when he was festus but sex ferguson huh well uh you know freaking deacon fake cane (laughs) whatever you want to call the gentleman he's been around the block uh, I think he's one of the best big men. Uh, I, I truly believe that. And uh, having these two guys here can do nothing but uh, make everything better in the world of professional wrestling. And I think that's what's so great about wrestling these days um, is WWE isn't afraid to go out there and get these people. Back in the day, I don't think Vince would go out there if if 
somebody had a big name. I mean, look how long it took AJ Styles to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, full time. He did have some tryout matches before everybody hates me on YouTube and tells me that I'm an idiot. Uh, (laughs) I know that AJ had tryout matches with WWE and and whatever, but uh, AJ's there now, and that's really cool. And the whole world of wrestling, I mean, they're doing this Cruiserweight series. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. is going to be – I mean – this is insane, really, if you look at this time in wrestling history. If you go back, and uh, this is kind of like a, a, a an invasion that's actually awesome um, versus the one that we got in 2001. That's right, and I, you know, especially, too, uh, look at Carl Anderson for, for, for this point right here to where he's probably one of the first wrestlers to, to debut on Raw without having – I mean, granted, okay, he was in New Japan Pro Wrestling – a uh, big name over there with the Bullet Club. He he, you know, was on Ring of Honor, but I don't think it was as big as what you know what he was in New Japan. Um, but he wasn't in TNA. He wasn't on you know WCW or any other like main flagship show or whatever. You know, he came in from New Japan onto Raw, and we haven't seen anybody really debut like that. Granted, AJ Styles debuted, but he's also been a mainstay in Ring of Honor, TNA, etc., etc. Uh, you know, Carl Anderson is kind of you know a lot of the younger people probably have no idea who he is. You know, except for okay, if they Google him, they're gonna see that he's from the Bullet Club. You know what I mean? Like he didn't have a world championship. He wasn't the world champion in ring of honor or whatever. So it's kind of interesting because, you know, a lot of these guys coming in like that to where, why didn't they send them down to NXT or, you know, it's kind of weird how they place some of the guys coming in of uh, who goes to NXT, who goes to the main roster and out of anybody, Jonathan, I mean, granted, we know uh, Doc Gallows had a run in WWE for a while, uh, but for Carl Anderson to come right up on raw, you know, it's 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 a very unique time, I guess you could say, to be a wrestling fan. And it's an exciting time because it's one of those things you never know who you're going to see on Raw, right? Yeah, it's it's really kind of uh, – it's exciting again, you know. And wrestling gets stagnant for a while and, you know, everybody complains and, and it kind of goes through these phases. But no one can deny over the past couple of years we've got – you know, I remember just – hearing about this prince devitt guy and now he's nxt champion samoa joe was a tna mainstay now he's in nxt austin aries another one of my favorites Sami Zayn, like all these people are now um here for us and you know everybody always says wwe's the big the big time well they're there and uh you know it's it's definitely making for a very interesting time in the world of professional wrestling and like i said from everything that looks like that's coming down the pipe I don't think that we've even started yet. I think that we've uh, we're we're just getting our getting a taste really of what's going to happen soon. Definitely. And what's more exciting is that it's not as predictable. I mean, granted, everybody used to, you know, all the marks out there, like you know, like oh, Roman Reigns is going to win, of course, or oh, he's going to be this, or he's going to be that. Right now, man, it's it's just like. Okay, you have a theory. I have a theory. This guy has a theory, but you know what? They're all theories, and that's what's great because it does nothing is seems definite right now. So anything can happen, especially AJ Styles being number one contender already. Jonathan, he's going to be facing Roman Reigns at Payback. Did you ever see this happening? And that was that kind of slid out of uh, nowhere. AJ Styles as the number one contender is really mind-blowing. I know a lot of people were talking about it, and we said it too, 
Um, I still, and I'll, I'll hold to to what I said is I didn't really understand why he didn't win at Mania, mm-hmm. and everybody uh-huh. said, well, it's because he became the number one contender. I I don't know, like. If, you figure we'd want to win at Mania, then become number one contender, so it makes more sense. But they well, and also like let's say that he doesn't win at at Payback, so now he lost at Mania. He was the number one contender for a couple weeks, and then he lost at Payback. So um, that's why for me, I think it would be one or the other. But obviously, I'm not the one writing the stories right now. But to have AJ Styles once again get in the time machine with this, mm-hmm. go back a couple of years. Uh, AJ Styles was the mainstay in, in TNA. He was, um, I, I, I guess I would call him like the, the John Cena of, of TNA or the, the Sting of when Sting was the head of WCW. You know what I mean? Like he was the, the foundation of, of TNA and to have him in WWE now as the number one contender really is pretty mind blowing. Definitely. And it's, you know, never say never in the pro wrestling. And it sure is an exciting time right now to be a wrestling fan, especially when you're watching WWE. Promo of the week. Ravishing Rick Root, come on in. You know, the way you wrapped up 1987 or are wrapping up 1987, I must say I have been very, very impressed. And apparently you've caught the eye of others because now all of a sudden from out of left field, you as challenger, perhaps the number one contender, as you meet the world champion Hulk Hogan for that title here on Saturday night, January 9th. That's right, little man. You're impressed. The whole world is impressed with ravishing Rick Rude. Hulk Hogan, on the other hand, is depressed. You understand? Now, I'm not taking nothing from the man. I say right now, right here, he's the greatest champion of all time. No question about that. That's right, Hulk Hogan. But I got your number, man. I know what you're all about. You're big, you're strong, but at the 15-minute mark, when that big tongue of yours is hanging down past your knees, and you're going like this, I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to put that big 300-pound body in a backbreaker like you've never felt before, Hulk Hogan, and I'm going to squeeze like you've never been squeezed before, and I'm going to make you say, quit. I'm going to make the man quit. I'm going to take your title by making you quit, Hulk Hogan. You know, I think you've uh, vastly underestimated the heavyweight champion of the world. As you know, I cover his matches around the country, around the world. I see him on many occasions go 30, 40, and 50 minutes at a time. Not with me. Not with me. I'm going to be in your face, Hogan. I'm going to make you breathe real heavy. And then I'm going to take you down. Austin Garden, Saturday night, January the 9th at 8 p.m. You know, guys, we really want to thank you all for listening. It's been two years. Uh, we've got a lot more coming up, so stay tuned. Follow us, uh, friend us, like us, poke us, tweet us, all that stuff, uh, because then we can continue with these shows. And without further ado, right now, joining us is none other than Kenny Kendone. Kenny! Johnny! Joining us today is literally one of my favorite wrestlers in 
probably the past decade. Uh, he's a former WWE World Tag Team Champion. He's an author, uh, a collegiate football player, and now he's a, he's a guest on another wrestling podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Ken Doan. Ken, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. I always appreciate these shows. I mean, these shows are always fun. It's like you get to see a different side of the personality of the people that you see on the screen. So I'm, I'm doing well. You know, it's a little rain in New England. It's a little uh, cold. There's snow on the ground, but, you know, we're living so good. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're also on the northeast. I thought we were going to get spring, and then we got hammered again. So uh, I'm I'll be waiting for the for the warmer temperatures. But uh, we got a lot to talk about today, so I'm going to try to get into it. Um, obviously, you got into the wrestling business at a very young age. We'll talk about that soon. But um, do you kind of remember? I guess you know you've probably been asked this a lot, but um, a lot of people have that moment that one moment that made them decide they were going to get into professional wrestling. Um, being on the the East Coast, you got to probably watch a lot of wrestling growing up. Um, do you remember that moment, though? I do. I was, uh, man, I was about 12 years old, and it was just, I was living with my mother. It was just me and my mom, and she would always go from job to job. And, like, this will time later, too, as well, but... She, uh, she never finished high school, so she never had a great opportunity to, like, get a good job. So I was 12, and, uh, you know, she was struggling and told me, she said, you know, you love to do and you get paid to do it. She said, and then you'll never have to worry about anything. And that moment, it was when I was like, oh, I love wrestling. I was like, I'm going to be a wrestler. And then she kind of looked at me and said, I'm going to be a pro wrestler. And she said, what are you talking didn't mean like that. I meant like find something else you like to do. But I had it set in my mind at that point that, you know, this is what I was going to do. So that's kind of how it all started. And that's what kind of really sparked me. And uh, so then I started, I really started at 13. I got a ride down to Stanford, Connecticut. And I walked in and I asked for an application. And they were like, what do you, like for you? Like, what do you, what do you want? And I was like, I need an application. Like, I'm going to be a pro wrestler. And they just kind of laughed at me and was like, it's not how you do it. It's like, get out of here. Go back to school. So my dream got kind of shattered pretty quickly. But thanks to the Internet, I found that uh, Killer Kowalski had a school up in Malden. So I started going there when I was 13. And from there, that's kind of how it took off. Well, um, you know, when you first started, you, you were training at a very young age. Uh, and obviously, even now, you're still considered young by the the business standards but when you first started uh training in killer kowalski school um and i'm not saying this in a good way but do you feel like you were treated differently because you were so young i'm not saying that they gave you breaks but do you think that they were oh almost... no, i hear you uh, yeah i was actually differently because people thought like oh this this kid just wants to come here and play wrestle and even kowalski said he's like out of here come back when you're 18 and i was like with all due respect i said i'm gonna wrestle I said, this is what I'm going to do. I said, and if I wrestle for now, I said, when I'm 18, I said, WWE will hire me because I have five years' experience. And he was like, he gave me that weird look like, well, you can make some sense there. He said, right, let's see if you have it. So, like, the first six months, I wasn't allowed in the ring. I had to learn how to chain wrestle and, like, tie up and, like, how to move and just 
and it felt like the most boring stuff. And then randomly, he would just come over. And he would say, I want to show you a move. And I would be like, okay. And he would stretch me. And he would, like, rough me up just to make sure I wanted it, see if I came back the next day. And then the only times that they would let me in the ring was when guys like Perry Sadden would show up or, like, A-Train, Albert, Tensai. I don't know what they call him now, but Matt Bloom. And they wanted to try moves because they were going to the next level. So I was like the lightest, the smallest, and I could just like, you know, get thrown around. So <laughs> the first six months of my whole career, that's kind of how it began. Now, when you were um, at Killer Kowalski School, you were training. Um, obviously, we know that at one point you were then sent down to OVW. But prior to that, in that in-between time, um, were you doing a lot of like traveling around the the Northeast, or did you pretty much stay right there at Kowalski School? Um, I do a lot of shows. I had like a lot of different promotions that I worked for, whether it be in Connecticut or Rhode Island or whatever it be. But the way I kind of got to the OW scene was that I would record everything I did at training at Kowalski's, and I kept sending it WWE, kept sending it and sending it. And then one day I had a match at Kowalski's that I recorded and I sent it. And I guess they liked it because I came home from school. I was a junior in high school. And my mom was like, you have a phone call from Stanford. And I was like, huh. So I went over and checked the call ID. And I was like, interesting. So I called it back and Dr. Tom answered. And he was like, Ken Dillon, I'm trying to get a hold of you. Where you been? And I was like, I was at school, man. I was like, I'm in 11th grade. Was like, Were you good at math? And I said, yeah, pretty good at math. He's like, can you subtract two years off your date of birth? birth? And I was like, yeah. So he's like, I need you next week to Philadelphia. And I was like, okay, you got it. And that night I did the white boy challenge. And then like, so I would, I would miss school Monday, Tuesday, about every two months to go work on Raw and SmackDown. What crazy is like, every time I had to do it, I would end up on Sunday Heat or Velocity or something like I was lucky, very fortunate because then I would go back to school and then like a week later everybody was like, oh my God, you were on TV last night. So <laughs> my junior, senior year, I was kind of like a celebrity in school. I was captain of the football team and I was wrestling on TV on TV of all channels. That's awesome. Um, well, and then we, you know, we do know that you went on to, to OVW Um the Northeast is a little bit different than, than Louisville, Kentucky. Um, what were your first thoughts when you got to OVW? And um, did they have any specific plans for you when you first arrived there? Yeah, when I, you know what's funny is uh, when I first got there, Jim Cornette came up to me and said, are you a heel or are you a babyface? I said, I'm a heel. He said, you'll never make money in this business as a heel. He said, you're a babyface. I've never been a babyface in my life. I said, but I'll do it because you want to but my first impression of getting there, like, they had the training camp. And, like, we go there every single day from, like, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. or wherever it be. And we work out and stuff. And Lance was the trainer. And I would just, and I sat there and I was watching people. And my first reaction was, I know exactly who, who started OVW. And I know who exactly didn't start OVW. And I could see little differences. And I could see that guy's from the Indies, that guy's from Louisville. That guy's from the Indies, that guy's from Louisville. And it was just, it was so weird. It was like night and day. And I just thought to myself, like, I'm five years ahead of half these people. And I thought, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to do my thing. I'm do the Kowalski thing. Because it's totally different than anybody's ever seen me down here. So that's why I started doing it. And it kind of caught on. And 
you know, it helped separate me. Another guy who separated himself real quick was Stephen Punk when he got there because, you know, not to say that OVW is a cookie cutter. If you're all trained the same, then you all kind of work the same. You know what I mean? So if me and 10 guys Kowalski's went to Louisville, well, we would look somewhat cookie cutter because we're all somewhat trained the same. Yeah. But as for Punk, he had his own Ring of Honor style, which was new to WWE at the time, and he kind of bought that new style to WWE and what you see today. And granted, now seeing it, he kind of keeps the door open for those guys. Well, um, when you first got there, you, you mentioned Jim Cornette, but were there other people that you um, like specifically trained with um, or like that you really enjoyed working with at that time that kind of helped you transition maybe to the the style that you would learn, you know, for WWE? Um, yeah, you know who was actually really good was Nova. He was really good. Simon Dean, he went on to become Simon Dean. And uh, Mercury, Joey Mercury. And what was crazy was Mercury had no contract at the time. And he was, like, teaching the contract guys, which is beyond belief. Yeah. I mean, now it's fine because he has a contract and he does his thing. But at the time, it's so, like, it was, it was just so strange that you have this guy who's not under contract, but he's teaching, teaching the guys that have a contract. Yeah. Um, now, what were the the beginnings of uh, Ken Doan in OVW? Because obviously they it wasn't all about the Spirit Squad when you first got there. So um, were they you know pairing you with anybody else? Was it just going to be you for a while, or how did they um, you know like what were some of the beginnings of the the Ken Doan character in in OVW? Uh, the way that kind of came about. Was- you know, they always have like those job guys who come out and get squashed and whatnot, and they always come up to that same music, that like generic music. So the way they introduced me was they would come out the same to the generic music and work Johnny Nestro or John. Oh, I can't remember his name. Now he's Johnny Mundo on Lucha Underground. So I would work with him, and then I would like steal from him, and that would put us into a feud. And I was the baby's face. And it worked. It was really good. People actually bought it because it was different. And they're like, wow, like, we never thought this guy was in the match. But then the way, like, the character of Ken Doan came about was we did, like, the TV title tournament. And it was, there was never planned to turn me heel. But I, and I knew that. But I also knew, too, that the only way I was going to get over is if I turned heel. So it, it was never written for me to turn heel, but I knew that, you know, Cornette said, after the match, we did like a TV title tournament. The finals was me and Deuce, who went on to be Deuce, uh, Deuce and Domino, Tim Smith. So we worked the finals. He ended up stealing the victory, like, you know, getting a quick roll up. And then they wanted me to just show frustration. That's what he said. And I knew what he meant. I said show frustration. It just meant, you know, just be upset that you lost. What I, I threw the chair, I started throwing a huge temperature from just overshadowing the entire tournament to the point where I would get the crowd to me because I knew that then they would have to bring me back to the heel. So that's exactly what I did. When I got to the back corner, I was like, well, now you're heel. And I said, thank you. Like, that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted to turn heel so now I can do what I do best. And that's kind of how the whole thing came about. And then from there, they put me a bowl of services and uh, people, Bobby Lashley and Mondo and Invisc and all those that those characters that to work with. Now, um, 
at that point, you're in OVW. You've already dedicated several years of your life to wrestling. Um, to you, was there any any turning back at that point, or were you like so into it that there was no way that you could could get out of wrestling? No, no uh, there was no way I was turning back. Wrestling was always my first passion. I always had three things. One was wrestling. Uh, two, play college football and you know get a degree because nobody in my family has that. And third option was if none of those ended up working out, I'm going to join the military. So my first option ended up working out pretty well. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, now, obviously, once again, you're in OVW. Um, you're doing well on your own. Um, how did the was it actually was it in OVW that the idea of the Spear Squad started to form, or was this something that happened much later? Uh, the Spear Squad started to form actually much later because Mondo didn't have a contract, and I, I think what really sparked the Spear Squad was Tough Enough, and it was because Nick Mitchell was such a character on Tough Enough, and he's actually the first one voted off. But as soon as he got voted off, they gave him a contract because he was entertaining. Now, this, this guy, Nick Mitchell, knew nothing about wrestling. He still, to this, I don't think he knows anything about wrestling, really. <laughs> but they find him because he's entertaining. And you talk about going from nothing to, like, over the top. Like, he went from literally, oh, I'm going to try out for this million-dollar contest to six months later being a world tag team champion made something wrong. So he is probably one of the most lucky people in the entire universe of the professional wrestling industry. So that's kind of how that came about. And there were thoughts of, like, I would go up and I would work Ken Bell's gimmick and I would do the PSE on the house shows and stuff like that. And you know, it was like it was like that tipping point where I'm like, I know they're going to call me up. I know they're going to. And Nick Nemeth had already gone up as uh, Chavo Guerrero's caddy when Chavo did the Kerwin White gimmick. And wanted to bring up Jeter and then Elijah Burke as well. So they brought us up in Cincinnati. And Vince, yeah, the Spirit Squad, we're going to have cheerleaders, and a lot of turned it down, which that's fine. You know what I mean? If he can't, you know, like you said, I really can't be that over the top. He said, I can't do that. He said, and I know that I'm going to screw up, and I'm going to get fired for it. He said, no, you guys are going to get screwed over because we can't make it work. He said, so it's best if I just pull out, which is fine. I respect him for that, you know. His ended up working out fine, too. So then we all kind of pitched Mondo, like, give Mondo a chance because Mondo was another one of those guys who didn't have a contract. He could outwork most of the contract guys in practice. So then we tried it with OVW just to do it and WWE saw it and then they ended up signing Mondo and from there they came up with the Spirit Squad thing and let us do it on TV. But a crazy story, they would bring all five of us to the TV every week and they would say like, okay, you guys are going to debut tonight. Like, okay, great. And then, like, two hours before it started, they were like, no, not tonight, not tonight. <laughs> and then we overheard one week where they were like, okay, we might send you guys back to developmental because we don't think we want to do it now. So we were like, no, like, we're not going to come this far for you to pull out. So we went in Vince's office, and we hid there for, like, three hours. And we were like, when he comes in, we're going to blow the air horn in his face, and we're going to do a cheer, and we're going to run out. Like, we don't know what else to do. So then uh, Harvey Whippleman, who, like, like Vince's runner, he came in and was like, what the hell are you guys doing here? And we were like, oh, we're going to do this. And he's like, he's up in the production meeting. He's going to be up there all day. So we're like, all right, well, let's go find him then. Let's get this over with. So we put open the doors of the production meeting, and like, we run up, and he has his head down. He's looking at, like, this notepad. And we blow the air horn, and he jumps, and he looks up, and we did, those, like, this big cheer. 
just like smirked and was like, okay. He's like, you're going to be on the next week. And we're like, okay. Let's, and we're like, everybody out, everybody out before he changes his mind. Like, let's get out of here. So it was really cool. And we knew like, okay, we're either going to get fired for this or we're going to be on Raw. And we ended up being on Raw the next week. So that was nice. I think obviously like picturing that in my head was, is amazing. But, uh, I, I would have loved to have been there to see that. But, uh, you know, we're we're gonna get into talking about how uh, you know the type of person you are, how you're very driven, and all that. So, um, when you were told that this was going forward, did you like? Because I don't think anyway that you had ever been a male cheerleader before. But did you actually like research? Did you try to figure out like cheers and and things like that, or did you guys just come up with everything on the fly? Well, we kind of like. Oh yeah, no, it's nothing I've ever done. You remember too? You got like. Nick Mitchell, who played college football. I was, you know, I played high school football. Nemeth was a wrestler. Mondo was, like, hockey and football. And Jeter's, like, a surfer. And none of us are really, like, have anything to know about cheerleading. So WWE actually sent us to University of Louisville Cheer Camp, which is, from what I'm told, University of Louisville Cheer Team is the best in the country. So we were, like, there for a week working out with these people. And they're showing us how to do backflips, all these cheers, and... So they kind of got us started. When we first did our first cheer at the Royal Rumble, they kind of came up with that for us. So that was a uh, shout-out to them. But then everything after that, like, I've always been good with, like, poetry and writing and stuff, hence my kids' book, which rhymes. So I always wrote the, the cheers, and then, like, the writers would somewhat choreography them. Awesome. Now, um... It came across on TV, and I'm I, I'm assuming that it was meant that way. That you were the the leader of the Spirit Squad. Now, was that something that was told to you, or was that just something that ended up happening because you stood out? No, that was something that ended up happening, and I would do it because oh man, when I knew that I was going to be in a group. What I did was I watched all the groups of the past. I watched the Four Horsemen. I watched the Nation of Domination. I watched the old DX, uh, the Heart Foundation, like the Indies, like with Brett and Sean and that. Um, I watched just a bunch of groups, NWO, and I would always watch the leader, and I would watch what he did. Because like, you know as a group there's always going to be a time when you're beating somebody down. You know I mean? There's always going to be that time. Because they have to get to vote. But I would always watch how they reacted, how The Rock acted, how Brett acted, how Sean acted, how Hogan acted, how, you know what I mean? All these groups. Ted DiBiase in the, corp- the, you know, the million dollar corporation. How they reacted in these situations. And that's just kind of what I modeled my thing off of. Came time to beat somebody down. I knew that Nick was going to jump on him at some point. So then I'm telling Nick to jump on him. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like if you say, oh, I'm going to go out to the kitchen and get a drink, and I follow you out there, and I say, open the fridge. Shut up, you open the fridge. Grab a, grab a drink. Okay, grab a cup. You know what I mean? You're yeah. going to do it anyways, but it just looks like I'm telling you what to do. Well, it's it's it's, inter- it's interesting that they didn't, like, you know, assign somebody. And I guess the door was open for anybody, and you were the one that kind of kicked it off, kicked it off the hinges, I guess. It was, yeah. The door was literally wide open. They never said anybody or anything to be the leader. And it was just like, go out there. And I think that Nick Mitchell would be the leader because he's the only one that could wrestle because he had a torn ACL uh-huh. at the time. So I think they wanted him to be the leader, but I just kind of like, they never specified. So 
to me, the door was open. Awesome. Well, um, was it at least comforting? I mean, I know that that couldn't have been a uh, an easy situation to be in the locker room at that time and all that just because, uh, you know, you guys are relatively new and being brought up. But was it at least comfort- comforting at all to know that Vince was kind of really behind you guys' group? It was. It was very comforting. Because at first we were all kind of like, you know, the first two weeks that we did it, we were kind of like, we're not really sure what we're doing. We don't really know what you want. Nobody really specified. And Vince pulled us aside and said, listen, you guys can't do anything wrong. He said, there's nothing you could do out there that's going to be wrong. He said, I want to watch it, and I want to look like you guys are out there just messing around, having fun, like jumping around in front of people. And that's eventually that's what it came off as, and you could see that. Yeah, and uh, I'll tell you right now, is uh, I'm originally from the Midwest, and so I went to a lot of uh, wrestling shows when you guys were on, on top of the world. And uh, I went to a lot in, um, like, Evansville, Indiana. And yeah. I, I was blown away by how much you guys were over as bad guys. I mean, it was it was mind-blowing. Like, the people that were really supposed to be, you know, booed were, like, playing second fiddle to you guys. And uh, I used to dress up as part of the spirit squad and people would boo me during the matches just because I looked like you guys. So I, I just think it was something that um, was really well done. And I kind of just wish it would have went on longer as a lot of people did, but um, you guys were definitely doing something right. There were times too, where we would go to certain parts and even certain countries, they would cheer for us and they would do the cheer with us. And like we could tell that we were starting to get over just because People knew that. It's like anything, though. People know when you're having fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they just want to be a part of it. Like, I think a good example of that is, and here's the thing, I don't really watch wrestling anymore, but I was, like, flipping through some things online. It showed, like, grades. I read Yahoo, uh, the news, and stuff, and it talks about Enzo and Big Cast. Yep. And it was it was just putting over how, how, how fun they had. And I, I've never heard of these guys in my life. Let me watch the vignette, and I watched it, and I was like, "You can tell that these guys are having fun." So then I went back, and I went and I looked at like who else debuted on Monday night, and out of all the guys that debuted, those two, you could tell that they were having most, and it showed with the crowd. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's the thing with fans is that they can tell that, and um, you know, obviously. You guys got the reaction that you were supposed to be getting at the time. But uh, right away, you you guys started to work with, obviously, some of the best wrestlers and talent that's ever been in a, in a WWE ring. Um, as a fan of wrestling growing up, um, how, like, mind-blowing was it to be, like, in the same ring and wrestling people like Shawn Michaels, like Triple H, like Ric Flair? It was fun. It was really cool. Like, a, a lot of times at first, it was, we'd be like, all right, no, I want the super kick tonight. Like, you know what I mean? Like, or I, let me, I want to take the pedigree. Let me <laughs> take the pedigree. Like, we would trade off of who could take it. But then after a while, it was just like, oh, okay, another day at work. Like, hey, what's up? <laughs> so it was, you know, in retrospect, when you sit back and look at it, it's kind of like, oh, wow, that's really crazy. Like, guys like Rick Flair, like that, you know, gives a way for so many people to in this business, it, it is. It's it's uh, it's mind blowing to get that opportunity. 
but you seem to be, like I said, a very goal-oriented person, a very driven person. When you first set your mind to wrestling, did you have like one specific goal? Like I want to be, I, I want to get to the WWE, or I want to become the world heavyweight champion some way, someday. Like, did you have any of those specific goals um, prior to getting into wrestling? Um, in a weird way, like, I know a lot of people will say, like, their main goal is to be the champ and stuff. But in all honesty, my main goal was never to be a champ of any sort, just because I looked up to guys like Owen Hart and, like, Roddy Piper, and, you know, they were never world champs, but we know them, we, we remember them. Rick Rude was never a world champ. These are all guys that, like, I used to idolize. Like, it was all the heels, too, like... I was over the top heels. Mr. Perfect was never the world champ. So I never really had that. And also, too, as I, oh, as you get older, you learn wrestling that, it, look, in order to become the champ, somebody has to lay there and let you pin them for three seconds. It's a show. You know what I mean? Yep. So are you really the champ? I mean, if you really want to be the champ, you should probably be to the UFC or something. You yep. know? Be a boxer. So my main goal was more so, I, I want people to watch my match and go, that guy is going to be real. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we know it's a show, but so he did something tonight that made me go, I, he, that might have been a real move. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is that how you kind of settled like on your your leg drop? Yeah, well, you know what's crazy? is I, <laughs> what's, How that whole thing came about is I used to, as like a kid, I had a trampoline, and I would do the leg drop on the trampoline. I had a shed, and I would do it off the shed onto the trampoline. I don't know why. I have no idea how it came about. It just happened. And then, like, I never did the OVW, and I, I think I did it, like, four or five times on the Independence when I first started wrestling, and I never did it again. And then, like, one day, uh, they were like, okay, Sean was like, somebody will miss something off the top. And I was like, I'll miss a leg drop off the top. I can do a leg drop. And he's like, okay. And I never told them exactly what I do for the leg drop. But then when it came time to, do, to miss that leg drop, I pulled the legs back in midair. I don't know why. I, I never crossed my mind even before the match. When I stood on the top rope, I was like, oh, I can do those legs. I pulled my legs back. So I did it. And then we got back and everyone was like, what the hell was that? Can you hit that? And I was like, yeah, Absolutely. I don't know if I could hit it or not because I hadn't done it in six years. So I had no idea if I could hit it. And they're like, okay, next week you're going to hit it on Eugene. And Dinsmore was like, you sure you can hit it? And I was like, absolutely. And I was like, huh? I was like, I don't know if I can hit it. <laughs> like, I never told anybody that. But in my mind, I was just thinking like, yeah, I don't know if I can do it. And you would think that I would practice all week. But the reason I didn't practice all week at OVW because then people would go, he's not sure if he can hit it. And then that would get back to the WWE and then they wouldn't let me do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. That's... The political side came out. So that's why I was like, you know, I'm just going to hope I can. So then I ended up doing it and I hit it fine. And then after that, it was just like, that was my thing. And, but I can still hit it fine. And I, I guess I can still do it. So yeah, obviously that's... it's a devastating leg, you know? Oh, it is. It's a, it's a, it's one of those moves like, you know, like the Swanton or things. I don't think it gets enough credit for how it's like when I look at a move, I look at, what it looks like and the difficulty level and both of those for that leg drop are don't get enough credit for the difficulty and how how fluid it looked oh i've seen people try to do that leg drop and they fail miserably yeah yeah absolutely now one of the one of the most uh 
ridiculous and over-the-top things about the Spirit Squad were, was the actual theme music. Now, uh, what were your guys' thoughts on the music, and was that something that like Jim Johnston put together, or uh, was that... Just... I honestly, I have no idea. The way it came about was uh, to go Brooklyn Brawler. He does music, Steve Lombardi. And he's like, or he helps out with like behind the scenes stuff. He was like, I need you guys come in here real quick. And we're like, okay. He's like the most obnoxious way you can do it is you yell your name into the microphone. So one by one we did it, <laughs> and then that was all we knew. And then they were like, okay, you guys are going out next. And then it hit, and we were like, that's our music. And they're like, yeah, that's your music. And we're like, okay, let's go. <laughs> like so, yeah, the music aspect we had no idea. We we found out when we came out to the ring. That's awesome. Now, uh, other than the the Spirit Squad action figures that I currently own, um, that finally came out after a long period of time, uh, was there any other plans for Spirit Squad merchandise? You guys didn't get a T-shirt. Uh, I mean, what what who dropped the ball with the Spirit Squad merchandise? I don't know because we pitched it a lot, and we actually had Spirit Squad merchandise that occasionally we would wear to the ring, whether it be a top or like a baseball tee. So they never, uh, yeah, they never gave us the bid. And I think from what we heard was that, look, if it goes well, then we're going to turn you guys babyface and we can't have you babyface because you're working with DX. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was more of like, uh, we're going to, you know, you're getting over his heels, let's not push it because then DX has to work with five guys, they can't work with two guys, you know? Yeah. Now, um, we, we kind of touched on this a little bit. You said when you went around certain places you were treated differently by by the fans but here in the united states um you know either on the east coast the west coast midwest how like was there any issues with you guys outside of the ring with fans did like fans ever try to fight you guys or anything like that oh there was always shows there was always that one wanted to get in the ring and just challenge a cheerleader but they never would because they knew there was five of us there was never you know i mean people would throw stuff there were times where people would throw like drinks and cups or bottles or whatever it be so but we always encouraged it you know we would always like laugh at people and they would get so mad when that they would like really want to get in there and we would just laugh at them they would just it was crazy um, I like I said, you guys had uh, match after match with you know legends of, of professional wrestling, and uh, I thought it was just a great run. And then for whatever reason, it started to to crumble a little bit. Um, what was the reason that you were given as to why they wanted to start to to disassemble the Spirit Squad? The main, the whole reason it began was just. DX back and to run that program and that feud and stuff. I guess I don't know why they would ever want to do that, but they decided to do it. Maybe whatever reason. But once that started to end, or once they wanted to stop the DX, that's kind of when they wanted to stop the Spirit Squad thing. Okay. So that was essentially the main thing. And there were talks too about like, you know, maybe we should have the Spirit Squad feud with each other, but then they. They didn't want to give that space on the TV, I guess, so that's just kind of how that ended. Well, you uh, kind of went off on your own. Uh, most of the other guys were either sent back to developmental or however that uh, that all worked out. Um, you were then brought back as, as Kenny Dykstra. Um, 
at that point, they knew that you were a proven commodity that you could do, you know, really good things. Um, was there anything on the table at that point for you, or were you just kind of in in limbo, or you know, what was what was being told to you at that time? Um, they told us come back this week, so they brought the whole squad back next week, and I they told me that I was going to do something, but I even put two of that, you know. I, I wanted to go back down to developmental just because I think coming out of that character so put a week later wasn't going to do any good. Yeah. You know, it's going to be how, how do you, you can't come from that character to not being that character in a week, um, unless you do it right. And the way that they did it the first week back was I went to interfere in a match and I ended up somehow taking the fall too. So it was kind of like, well, it's, that's what would have happened with the Spirit Squad. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's not anything else so it kind of it didn't end up working out it was um, best as it could have been it could have been done a lot better yeah absolutely but um you know you spent the majority of your wwe tv time on in, in a in a large group you know in early on um was it exciting for you to be kind of branching out on your own or were, did you prefer at that point the the you know the tag team or the the five the four other guys. I I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was exciting. It's done right. I'm mean, going as Kenny Dykstra. I think if they would go as Ken Doan, like just let me do my thing from OVW and be me. I think it would have worked a lot better. But as always, there's always restrictions. You know, you're going to go as far as they want you. So. Um. You you started the feud with Ric Flair. Um. And. Uh, you know, you had worked with him before, but one on one, how did Flair treat you? And was he like? I always wonder how the veterans treat kind of new people, like because Ric Flair didn't really have anything to prove. So was he helpful for, to you during that time? Flair was great. Flair, if he was working with somebody that he wasn't sure of, he would take the time. He would sit there and he would lecture them. It was almost like going to call. You know, a professor who stands there and lecture you. That's kind of what it was like if, if if he wasn't sure of what you could do. But like I said, when I got up to the show, even as the Spirit Squad, I had already had six years' experience, and like the next closest was I think Mon with like four, maybe. The people there knew that I could go, and JBL could speak on that too because here's a, something that not a lot of people know. Just a little backstory with JBL. When they won the world championship from Eddie Guerrero at the Great American Bash in 2003, I think, they needed somebody for him to work with. So Dr. Tom called me, and he was like, what are you doing Thursday and Friday? I was like, well, I have school. He's like, can you miss it? I said, sure, I'll come. I'll come. So I went down to Stanford for two days, and I would I wrestled two 30-minute matches on Thursday and two 30-minute matches on Friday with JBL. And this was me coming, a high school kid, and I'm I'm working with the guy who's going to be Eddie Guerrero at the, for the World Championship come Sunday at the pay-per-view. So that was kind of crazy. Yeah. When I went up there, JBL kind of like, he looked out for me at times. You know, people would try to mess with the squad, but he wouldn't, he would only let them get so far. So we never had to deal with all that wrath of, you know, what you hear craziness. But, going back to the Flair thing, working with him one-to-one, -one, when I would work with him, it was, I would never see him all day. I would see him at the curtain, and he would say, what's the finish? And I'd say, well, they have me giving you a small package, or you're going to give me the figure four. And he's like, okay, cool, let's go do it. And 
that's about as much we would talk about our match, whether it be TV or in pay-per-view for that matter. That's that's pretty awesome. Uh, and to work with JBL like that, because you do, you know, like uh, half the stuff you read, you don't know what whether to believe or not, but there's a lot of stuff out there about JBL, and um, that's cool that you got to work with him and it wasn't, he didn't, you know, take advantage or anything like that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really weird, too, because I drove down there, and then I parked in the WWE, you know, headquarters garage, and then Doc, I went up to the elevator, and Dr. Tom and JBL were there, and it was just me and JBL and Dr. Tom, and we went to the Tough Enough training facility down the street where they had the ring, and Dr. Tom just sat there and watched the match. It was just me and JBL for two 30-minute matches back-to-back. That's that's so awesome. Now, uh... It was, it was really weird. <laughs> In uh, in in 2008, obviously after being kind of put on your singles run for a while, um, and being moved to SmackDown, you you were released, uh, you know, but then you you didn't skip a beat. You started the next chapter of your life. Um, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but why was it so important for you to go to to college after that? Um. Well, my nobody in my family had graduated, so at that point it was just like. You know, I mean, I was 24 at my release, so it was really just, you know, I'm young. I, I, what am I going to, you know, might as well. I'm not going to waste an opportunity if it comes up. So I kind of jumped at it and made it, and now I'm actually going back for my master's degree. That's that's awesome. What did you, uh, what did you major in in college? Sport management and education. Okay, awesome. Um, and you were, you know, very busy during your collegiate career. You played football um, and excelled uh, grade-wise in school. Uh, did you find it difficult to balance college work and football, or after being in the WWE, it was just kind of easy? Yeah, well, being in the WWE, I mean, I went from high school to professional wrestling. I literally, you know, you look across the country a week after you graduate, you live on your own, you got to deal with everything on your own. You have nobody to really help you in that sense of the matter. So it's college is just it. It was so easy, and, and living through all the life experience you go through, it essentially just you know some of my teachers would say like, you're just here for the paper. Like some classes I didn't really get a lot out of, but then there were always classes that you get something out of. Awesome. Now uh, we we mentioned it in the the opening. You are an accomplished writer. Uh, you wrote a book called Billy's Bully. Um, why was that the the subject that you decided to tackle? Why is uh, bullying such an important issue to you? Well, I, I lived in Virginia at the time, and uh, I had saw a case in Virginia where a girl committed suicide over bullying, and it, it affected me. And I didn't know the girl. I didn't know her family, her friends, or anything like that. And I just thought, like, if it bothers me that much, I could only imagine how it bothers the people that know her. So I did a little research and saw that at the time, not all the states were required to teach about bullying. So I thought, well, how can I help out with this? And I uh, decided to write a book about it. And that's kind of how it... So, you know, all the kids have to read. So if they happen to read my book, I can push my book to the schools. And when they read about it, then they'll learn about it. Um, do you have currently any plans to write any more books? I actually, I've been uh, speaking with Timmy White, who is Andre the Giant's right hand, and he wants to come up with a book, uh, a kid's book about Andre, just because he feels like, you know, the history of Andre is kind of like, 
you know, we it's a we look at Andre or not we but we, today's generation of kids kind of say Andre like how we look at Bruce like is he real like you know I never saw a Bruce but I feel a lot about him was he that good was he that awesome was he, you know he's all fictional and that's kind of how kids hear about Andre the Giant so now if they have something you know it's just that they can to relate with him yeah no that's awesome uh, now last year uh, WWE uh, reached out to you they wrote an article about you uh, was that I mean, just through everything that you'd been through in the WWE, was that surprising to you? Um, you know what? You know what was surprising was they reached out to me, and I thought that was great. And I think they weren't expecting what they got. I think they were expecting a lot less. So when they got everything, they asked for pictures, and they like send us your recent pictures, like you know. No offense to anybody who's done these things. Sometimes their pictures, their most recent pictures, look so great. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I look great by any means, but when I sent them pictures, I wrote back, I was like, we don't know if we can use these pictures. And I was like, what are you talking about? I said, those are the most recent pictures. And I said, yeah, but you're, you look like a million dollars. Like, like, people are going to go, wait, you're 30 years old, wrestling 17 years, you look like and we don't hire you. I said, well, that has nothing to do with me. I said, that has, that has more to do with you guys than it does me. I said, so if you're trying to save faith, don't do the article. So they had to run it by a bunch of people and whatnot, and then eventually they approved it. So Wow. Um, yeah, I was surprised by that phone call. I was like, wait, what? I was like, you, don't want to use, you might not be able to use the pictures because the pictures look good. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, that seems a little little odd, but I'm glad they did it because, uh, you know, maybe – and and with the network and stuff too, it's it's showing a lot of people that, you know, like you're saying, younger kids or whatever that may not know uh, about your work in the WWE. So it's opening the door for a lot of, a lot of other people. But uh, the question that you probably get asked a lot, uh, in the world of professional wrestling, they always say never say never. Um, I know that you still wrestle. Um, you're still active. Uh, would you ever consider not even not even just to come back to WWE, but um, if any offer was put on the table for um, like maybe TNA or Lucha Underground or anything like that, uh, would you consider maybe a full time comeback to to uh, to the world of wrestling? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you never know. I mean, I look at it too. Is I'm, I'm three. I've been doing this 17 years. On any roster in the entire world, I would be one of the youngest. And I would also be one of the most veterans, you know, and that's a, that's a tough combination to have. Yeah, that's, uh, it's gotta be, you know, and did, was that, I mean, I guess now it's not so bad cause you're on your own, but in the WWE, um, did, did people ever kind of get upset in the sense that you, you did have so much experience? Like, was that ever anything that people, you know, got mad about because, you, it wasn't that you probably weren't telling people what to do or anything, but things that people may be telling you, you probably already knew, right? Well, there, you know, that's, that's a good question. There were times where people would want to, like, oh, we're only 18, you're only 19. Like, come on. You know what I mean? It was one of those side things. But when you work, your work speaks for itself. And that's probably still the respect, you know? Absolutely. Well, uh, you, we, we've got just a few more questions for you because I know, like I said, you're a busy guy. But uh, 
Uh, one that we had a fan send in, they were wanting to know, do you still stay in contact with uh, the rest of the Spirit Squad? I do. Actually, uh, Johnny Jeter and Mondo, we just did the uh, King of Trios last year, I believe. I don't know. It was just yesterday. It was like <laughs> fast. But I still see Mondo all the time. We text a lot. And uh, never I still talk with, or with uh, Ziggler now. We still uh, talk back and forth. I actually talked to Jim Mundo this week at Washington, which I So I text him just a little. How cool it was. Awesome. And then uh, Elijah Burke and Bucky, I text them today. So I was talking to them this week because they had a good match on Empire. And I didn't know that I caught Empire on TV, but I happened to watch it just because I knew that match was on. So. And Nick Mitchell, he, he uh, you know, sometimes he disappears for months on end. And I look here 3 a.m. I text so I have to like hurry up and jump up and talk to him <laughs> um, you know we we talked a lot about your wrestling career we talked about you're your now going back to get your masters uh, what else are you up to these days is there anything coming up that you can tell us about that you're specifically doing or are you going to be appearing or wrestling anywhere coming up soon um, I always show is great you know never know where to be and uh, I do a lot of with Game Changer and jerseys. And honestly, it really depends on the promoter and the company. I've been talking a little bit with Ray Warner, so we'll see if anything comes out of that. So you never know, you know. I mean, I talked to Joseph the other day about Luch Underground, so anything possible. Yeah. Um, obviously, you've done a lot in a very, very short time. Um any advice for people out there that uh, may be struggling trying to find something or um, feeling like that they're they're kind of just floating out there? Is there anything that you, you have for people like that? Yeah, I would say don't expect everything to happen in one day. I mean, it's easy to wake up and go, you know, I want to be this. And at the end of the day, you get frustrated and you go, wait, I didn't become that. Well, you didn't become it that day, but... If at the end of the day you can look at your whole day's actions and say, you know, I did take one step closer, I took one step closer, then that's really, you got to mark that as success. If if you try to become, you know, a superhero in one day, it's not going to happen. But it, it's just like a baby. It, it's a really weird analogy, but babies don't get up and run in one day. They crawl, they stand, they walk, they take steps, and then they run. You know what I mean? Life is the same way. Just you gotta you got to be willing to take the step. Well, I think that's good advice for anybody. Um, now, the world of uh, social media is just ginormous. Uh, where can people find you? Promoters, uh, fans, anything like that? Um, what do you? What uh, platforms are you on as far as social media? My most popular one recently, because things change so often, is my Instagram uh, at Kendo. K E N N D O A N E. And that has my contact information as well. Uh, my Snapchat, if you want to follow me, live up to date, literally. And then my Facebook is Ken Doan as well, as well as my Twitter, at Ken Doan, K-E-N-N-D-O-A-N-E. In all those ways, um, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of, honestly. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we want to thank you so much for coming on today, taking the time out of your busy schedule. Um, we are just so happy to have had you here today, and uh, we look forward to seeing what else you can do here in the future. Sounds good, man. I appreciate you guys having me. It's uh, it's always a, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate being on all shows, and I hope that your show does great going forward. 
All right. Once again, thanks to Ken Doan for joining us. All right. Well, Steve, we talk a lot about professional wrestling, the state of professional wrestling, all everything there is to talk about professional wrestling. But there's no denying that, um, you know, during the Monday Night Wars, we, you know, we talked a lot about talents that uh, jump ship back and forth. And, you know, the hottest free agents, the people that we always wanted to see, you know, wrestling for the WWE or, or whatever. Um, not a lot's changed in the world of professional wrestling, except it's not, you know, WWE and WCW anymore. It's really pretty much WWE versus everywhere else. So I know that um, with the advent of NXT and all these different places now, uh, we're getting to see people actually in the WWE that we would have never, ever gotten to see before. Sure. Um, you know, it's 2016, and, uh, you know, we know that Nakamura is signed with WWE. We know that we've got AJ Styles. We've got Austin Aries, you know. We've and got- it's, it all goes back to even Daniel Bryan, you know, what that kind of barrier that he broke in a way. You yeah. know, I, I could even say that, too, with CM Punk a little bit, that he did that, too. Uh, but definitely those two guys. I think if you go back to CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, you know, guys before them definitely weren't, that, you know, like the way we see them now. Yeah, and, you know, it's I, I'm really excited because, to be honest, it's great. It's it's best for wrestling. Um, you know, I love watching independent wrestling. I love going out there and seeing these guys, um, you know, up close and personal. Uh, but to help... Um, I guess what we call WWE is, you know, corporate wrestling, uh, just because it's it is backed by a lot of money. So um, to to help that product, you know, it's it's always great to get these new faces. So uh, you know, we mentioned a few of them, and you've got Kevin Owens, you've got I keep wanting to say Generico, but obviously Zayn. Um, so it's it's now 2016. Um, what's left? You know, what, yeah. who who are the next people that you think will either make their way into NXT or into WWE? Because obviously, like with Styles, they chose to not send him, sure. you know, to NXT. Yeah, and uh, that's going to be the tough part because, I mean, if you go back uh, to last year, uh, you know, you had Prince Devitt. He went to NXT. He was pretty uh, over. Uh, then you also had uh, Kenta came in as Hideo Itami uh, to NXT, changed their names, changed their names. Then like a guy like AJ Styles, you bring him in, and he keeps his name, and he's on the main roster. What's the fine line of who has to go to NXT and who doesn't? Uh, you know, a lot of the, all three of those guys are great in their own right. And I, granted, I, everybody knows, oh, you got to go down to NXT, learn the WWE way. Of course, I know. I, I get I get it. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be which ones are going to stand out that don't go to the NXT route. You know what I mean? To where... Uh, like AJ Styles, who will be the next AJ Styles that does that? And I can't really picture it. I feel like anybody else right now who they got from the indies are going to be going straight down to NXT. Uh, one group that I would totally want to see, and I, you know, everybody keeps talking about it. I don't know when it would happen. Maybe a year, maybe two years. Who knows? They're still young. The Young Bucks. Uh, I think out of anybody you're talking to right now, to me, I think those guys are the biggest names on the indies that, you know, if they acquire them. Uh you know, uh, granted, there's other big names out there and other guys, but I think these guys have the most recognizable name to where if they get them, they bring them in uh, and they do the NXT thing with them. But uh, even then, too, do you think they should go to NXT or go to the main roster? I don't know. You know, they've got such like name recognition. It doesn't really matter where <coughs> they go. I I don't think it's going to matter if they go either, 
you know, either place. Um, I would, I would hope that they would go to the main roster, but also I think that giving them some time in NXT would help uh, NXT out as well because there's going to come a time whenever all the awesome talent on NXT gets brought up to the main roster anyway, so they're going to need more more talent anyway. So um, yeah, I could, I would love to see the Young Bucks there. I know that it's probably getting easier for them to say hey, we may want to try this out at some point because everybody, all their friends are there. So, um, But I'll go another step further. The next person that I want to see is Kenny Omega, who's part of the elite now. They, they're no longer the, the Bullet Club. So um, Kenny Omega is another guy that I think a lot of people looked at and didn't really see the star power yeah. in him, but uh, he is amazing. I don't know if you guys ever watch any of the... Uh, videos that they all post on on youtube the U- the young bucks and kenny omega but uh the cleaner i think is somebody who should definitely get involved in in wwe at some point yeah man and then like any other names that you go around to all the the other circuits who are left because now it's almost like well who can you get from tna because you know word on the street is they're up for sale to somebody who knows it's another year another place that tna has to go to so do you bring in anybody from TNA? What kind of name would you bring in? And if you do bring in anybody from TNA, is it a main roster or does it go to NXT again? So for that is hard right there too because TNA still has a lot of those veteran names. Uh, not too many young guys out there that kind of are just you know big names on the indies, but I think any of those guys, if you do bring them in, they're going to go through the NXT route. And then... You know, even Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor is definitely that, you know, that other wheel out there that's still going with uh, a lot of great names where, you know, AJ Styles was, Kevin Owens was, you know, Seth Rollins was as Tyler Black, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and now I know they're even working a little bit with Evolve. Uh, so there's this whole little system coming into place, though, of, you know, uh, you know, the territory system of then is not what it is today. And they're kind of, in a way, trying to bring it back to a certain extent with, I think, Evolve. Being since I think NXT kind of blew up a little bit more than maybe what people thought it would have blown up, and to keep it still to that that energy level of how it is now, you're gonna have to be bringing in some of these big names. I mean, Austin Aries is in there right now, uh, so it's like you know NXT is its own little third wheel, third cousin. It's almost like that ECW brand to where you know we as fans don't look at it as a farm system. It's just another awesome show by WWE in a way. So. Uh, that's the thing to where I think this whole farm system is going to change to where you're using Evolve, then you're using NXT, uh, and just what other name comes in now. Because like you said, I think it's been gutted the past few years. There isn't, I mean, trust me, there's a lot of talented guys out there, but I mean, as far as name recognition, like what they were doing with Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, bringing them in on NXT to where they don't really have, uh, so to say, a contract with WWE, but... It kind of puts their name bigger, makes them a bigger indie talent to where, hey, maybe down the road we do want to hire you. So they're almost making their own, they're almost making the indie uh, roster bigger names on their own. Yeah. I don't know, something to that extent. The thing is with all this, you know, talent, it's you you really have to think that is the WWE kind of raiding the locker rooms, yeah. you know, like they're going around and 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 doing this. But like I said. You know, it's it's a fact. It's it's a non uh, it's a non arguable fact that the WWE is the most popular and profitable professional wrestling company in the United yep. States, if not the world. Um, and you know, there's people out there, and and once I think what's going to be hard is once this, uh, you know, give it two three years, I think that the entire indie roster may be 
depleted. So if you're an independent wrestler right now, you know, you really, now's your chance. Yeah. You, you really have to just, uh, you know, keep going out there and doing awesome stuff. I look at some of the people whenever I first moved up here and started to watch like independent wrestling. And, and I look at them now, like you think of uh, the kingdom, like, you know, uh, Matt Taven and Adam Cole and Mike Bennett and Maria Kanellis, like they were, they were always great, but now they've got some steam, you know, with Ring of Honor and yep. TNA and all that stuff. So I think that all four of them would be great to come back into the WWE or NXT. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's what, once again, this is another show for another day, but we should talk about a brand separation, a, a brand split, because um, with NXT, that's great. We've got those people, but then, you know, everybody else is just, trying to fight for the spots on one on one show so yeah i you know the sky's the limit right now for independent wrestling and for you know anybody that's involved in a promotion that isn't wwe they're constantly looking they're trying to always adapt and and bring in what's new and exciting and and really like the fans make the noise about these people and they end up in the wwe uh you know case in point for me Right now, one of the most um, just entertaining and original people that I can tell you is is Dalton Castle. Yeah, and, uh, definitely. You know, if all you have to do is watch his entrance in Ring of Honor, he's a uh, you know he's a good wrestler and he's got a character and he's just somebody that I can see coming to the WWE or even NXT. He's yeah. he's got what they always talk about as it. And you know, what makes me love Dalton Castle so much is that. You know, everybody on the indies is their name. You know what I'm like? I'm Steve Credo. You're Jonathan Benjamin. Like, they're their name. Dalton Castle has a name, but he also has an, an incredibly original gimmick. Uh, granted, you could say he's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, or whatever, but nobody else I have seen ever do this uh, to, to the fact that it's so original. You know, it's not just like putting on a biker jacket and running to the ring or putting on these tights and, you know, whatever. It's... It's it, you know from what he's what he does to his entrance to his mannerisms to everything it's so original and it's like wow somebody's actually thinking outside of the box and making himself a name you know what I mean when you look at Dalton Castle okay he's been on Ring of Honor he's been at all this show and that show uh, to where you know he's not just a name like if you're like Dalton Castle like oh yeah the guy with the the wings and the the peacock thing and the two guys yeah like you know what his character is you know like it's just different you know what i mean i think that's one thing a lot of these indies got indie guys have to do on the on the road to really become different is not just go out there as your name you know really own a character he's owning this character and that's that that's the wrestling business it's character driven you know what i mean to where he's not just john doe or whatever you know he's john doe with you know this whole elaborate entrance and uh, you know it's just original, it's working, and I wouldn't be surprised if no, if the WWE doesn't get him within the year uh, just to put on NXT or something like that. But it, it's just the originality of that. And Jonathan, one thing I want to ask you is a lot of the fans out there, a lot of the marks. The one question is, well, what if WWE just bought TNA? Uh, as the indies are you know being scra- uh, scraped up with uh, talent, there might come a point, Jonathan, to where all that good talent is gone. You know what I mean? To where you have all the local homegrown wrestlers and stuff, but you don't really have these kind of big names anymore. They're all in the WWE, let's say. Uh, there's maybe a, a few handful of guys out there who are still big on the indies and whatever, but there comes a point to where WWE is going to need something new. They're going to need something different. Uh, 
do they buy TNA out? Do they throw that in as a storyline? I know they don't like recognizing them as a, anything, even they recognize them as like an indie company. But I mean, is that uh, you know just a possibility to where hey, we need something different. Let's just make this a story and let's just acquire another company. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that they'll. I mean, they may. The only reason that they would buy TNA once again is if the price was right and they did it for like the video library, so they could show like X Christian, X you know Sting yeah. footage, all that stuff. But you know, I think that they would help get some of the talent. They would probably take you know like right now, if it was to happen, they would probably buy out um, Velvet Sky's contract and yeah. maybe like uh, the Wolves and. Um, you know, Gail Kim hasn't fared too well there, but, uh, Abyss, maybe there's probably like 10, 15 people that they, I could see them like, you know, getting, getting for sure. But then, um, you know, other than that, I don't see them. It's kind of the same thing with WCW. Whenever they purchased WCW, they had this like huge amount of talent and they only had so many spaces. So, um, I don't think, you know, it's TNA's never been, uh, sorry for anybody who's a huge TNA fan, but TNA's never been as big as WCW in the sense that I don't think it would be as impactful, yeah. um, no pun intended. Sure. Uh, but yeah, that's that's something that I just don't see happening. Well, they never say never in wrestling, so we don't know. Maybe one day we'll find out. Never. Who's next? Now, if you're in the Hudson Valley and you love comic books, action figures, and anything dealing with pop culture, head on over to CollectorsRealm.net. You guys can visit them at the Duchess Marketplace on Saturdays and Sundays between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. That's Duchess Marketplace, located at 453 Route 9 in Fishkill, New York, just south of I-84. Head on over to CollectorsRealm.net. Hey, all you professional wrestling fans out there, we here at another wrestling podcast have just the thing for you. If you've always wanted to join one of those monthly subscription sites that give you all kinds of treats and goodies in the mail, the best one by far is ProWrestlingCrate.com. You can follow them at PWCrate on Twitter or at ProWrestlingCrate on Instagram. Be sure to check them out and subscribe. Uh, The cost is nominal and you get some amazing things every month. And you never know what you're going to get. So tell them that another wrestling podcast sent you and enjoy the pro wrestling crate. Head on over to pwpnation.com. It's a wrestling media website and community that loves professional wrestling. They strive on creating an array of interesting articles and reviews on everything professional wrestling. Head on over to pwpnation.com. Well, that's the show. We want to thank you all for listening today. Every week we do this show free of charge for you, the fans. If you're wondering how to repay us, we have just the thing. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Hey, and while you're there, be sure to rate us and give us a good review. If you're looking for more information about AWP, then head on over to anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. We are all over social media, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you are an AWP super fan, you can also show your support by going going over to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Another Wrestling Podcast and buying one of our official AWP shirts. We couldn't do this show without you, so tune in next week for (sighs) Another Wrestling Podcast. 